We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to preview the Lakers' first round series against the Phoenix Suns. We do not have home court advantage in this, and I do think that we should hit on that at some point. But I feel good about this matchup. This is something, this is a, a matchup where I think a lot of our strengths overlap with Phoenix weaknesses. And what they do well is something that we're kind of built to stop. So, Mike, this is something that you're really big on with this matchup. What do you see in this matchup with us against Phoenix? Yeah, so this is, the, to me, a mismatch in terms of guards and forwards uh, and just kind of the set the center position aside for a second. This is not a Phoenix team that has, is athletically very equipped to deal with LeBron and AD. And we saw that in the last time that these teams played, uh, even though LeBron didn't play in that game. Lakers won 123 to 110. Um, at home and Anthony Davis was spectacular right he had 42 points 12 rebounds this is a three blocks three steals and they started Torrey Craig uh, on him eventually they went to Jay Crowder they tried Aiton at times like there were all these different and, and just AD can either take you inside or out reminded me a little bit of Portland last year Portland just didn't have the kind of the guy like Draymond um, who was terrific and maybe the only guy that can defend him in that towards that extent and then once you here's the thing if you if you try to put all those resources towards ad then lebron has a lot more space and room to operate and you know yeah they have jay crowder like he can bang with him a little bit but we saw how that went in the finals mikhail bridges a little bit small so that's the first part of this uh the second part is that the lakers do great against guard driven teams so we've seen it 
right in the past and so I, I, they like caruso's big kcp shooter's tough they come in with with wesley matthews uh, these guys all did that in that game without lebron so I just think that both of those sides of the ball, um, the Lakers have some clear advantages in just based on personnel, set aside what they're going to run. I'm going to play a bit of a devil's advocate in, in this episode because I generally agree with you, but it's different than playing a Steph Curry team where there's one guard you have to worry about. You have two guys out on the perimeter that can attack and that go about it in a different way. Is there any degree of concern that that normal blitzing and scrambling and rotating style that is really effective against high-end guards, can we do that against a Chris Paul when the ball's getting rotated to Devin Booker on the other side? I think we I think we can really trap Booker. You know, the thing happened a couple summers ago where he got upset about the, the double teams. I think about that, but... Is that something that we can do against two guards? So the Lakers don't really full blitz very often. They do more of a kind of a soft blitz. This, this is what Steve Kerr was talking about before the yes, game. Because and, they need to get, be able to recover back after right. that. So that's a great distinction. Yes. And so so that's important. And they did that against Portland. So that I would equate this more to McCollum on the weak mm-hmm. side. Yeah. Right. So you so Lillard and Chris Paul, they're very different players. Like you're not having to, to go out and guard Chris that much. Uh, that far out against the th- uh, on the three point line, he could hit more shots from there, but he doesn't choose to play like that. So you can almost you can you don't have to go as fast at him. You can pay a little bit more attention to Booker in that way, and then you know you have KCP lock and trailing um, as you guys are so good at explaining. So I do think that the Lakers have defended teams like this well before. It is different, of course, from the Steph like the one guy thing. But Darius, I think they have they have the game plan to be able to do that. I don't want to say just fine because it's tough against Chris Paul and Booker but they do know how to handle it. The thing that would concern me from the Lakers, so seems like we're talking Suns offense versus Lakers defense, right? And so Paul and Booker are clear problems. They're just problems. They're problems for everybody. And we should not minimize that at all. And that's not what you guys are doing, but I'm just saying they're going to get theirs in the way that they get theirs and the specifics of how they get theirs is super interesting. And we can go nerdy X's and O's stuff over the course of an entire playoff series, right? Like as we start to see this stuff play out from game to game to game, whether it's like, Oh, they're running pin downs or cross screen actions, or now they're running Booker off of Iverson cuts or whatever they're doing in order to try to free him. The thing that would concern me if I'm the Lakers though, is that the Suns are a really good spacing team and they rarely play without at least four shooters on the floor at all times, right? Now, the degree in which you will leave some of these guys open is going to vary, right? I think the Lakers are going to be fairly comfortable leaving Jay Crowder quasi open, right? I think they're going to be less willing to do that with Mikael Bridges. I think Cam Johnson is going to have to prove it to them, right? I think Sarich is going to have to prove it to them. I think Kaminsky is going to have to prove it to them. But all those guys that I just named, those guys are going to space the floor and they're going to spread the Lakers out. And making those rotations, when you're talking about dynamic guards and then you're talking about spaced guys almost everywhere 
right? And then when Aiton is in the game, like a viable role threat, right? Who's both a lob threat and a roll into the deep post threat. There are things there that the Lakers are going to have to navigate that do I think that they can come up with a viable game plan? Sure. Do I think they have the defensive talent in order to slow some of this this stuff down? Yes, I do. But the Suns are a problem offensively, and they're a problem the Lakers are going to have to solve. And on any given night, Paul will go for 30 and 12, or Devin Booker can go for 35 plus points. And cutting that faucet off is harder when the floor is spaced the way that Phoenix faces the floor. And that's exactly why it'll be a Phoenix win whenever their role players are able to just catch and shoot. And it'll be a Lakers win when those guys are forced to make decisions. And what that means is chasing them off of the three-point line and forcing them as they're attacking the closeout to make a pass against that scrambling Lakers defense. Lakers forced 15 turnovers in the second half last night. And a big part of that is because it's now Kent Bazemore who's had to make the decision because we've come out on Steph and gotten the ball out of his hands. Draymond has made the pass off of the short roll, and now it's someone like that. And so the more often that you can get the Cam Johnsons, the Bridges, those types of guys to make pass shot reads that involve like, oh, I'm either going to pull up and shoot a mid-range jumper because the defense is rotated over to take away my drive to go all the way to the basket – if we can do that, those are the circumstances where we're those are real wins for the Lakers. I'm curious, Mike, your thoughts on DeAndre Ayton and his impact on this series. His role has changed a bit with the arrival of Chris Paul, and he's certainly not Luca, right? Which is who he's, he's often compared to because they were in the same draft. But he's a solid big that that can provide value on both ends of the court. So, how do you see him fitting into this series? It's a very intri- – this to me maybe is the most intriguing of the individual guys on Phoenix because there is the most variance on, on what he can do. Like I think we know what to expect from Booker and Chris Paul. We've seen how consistent Mikael Bridges is, didn't miss a game all year. We know what to expect from Jay Crowder. You know what Charge and Kaminsky are going to do. Even campaign, like I don't know if he's going to go 100 for 100 like he did the last time he played against the Lakers, but <laughs> I think that he kind of earned their respect in that way. Whereas Aiton, this is this is about as tough of a matchup as you're going to get for a young center like this. Because it's not just that you have to deal with the size and not just the size, but you have to deal first with Drummond. And okay, how is he going to defend me? And, you know, Drummond's huge. Uh, Drummond's physical. What if Marcus Gasol's in on me? How am I going to deal with that? Wait, I have to go out and cover the three-point line now with Mark. He's not going to let me do anything inside at the rim. So I'm going to have to work on my face up game against him. You know, then what if they bring in in Harrell for certain cross matchups? I have to worry about him trying to explode by me. And then worst case scenario in Aiden's mind, what if they go AD at the five? And then not only do I have to chase him out on, on offense, offensively, he, he can take me up the dribble. He can pull up over me, but how am I going to score on him? You know, cause he can block my shot at the rim. But so to me, that's, that's four. That's a lot on the scouting report for a young big. And guess what, who I haven't mentioned yet, Darius, LeBron James, he's who is the nightmare for a big in a playoff series, because what is LeBron going to do? He's going to he's going to know exactly what Aiton is doing. He's going to know exactly what situations to put him in. So I, I think that mentally take all the physical stuff aside and shooting rhythm and rebounding and shot blocking and all that. I just think that mentally he's going to have a lot on his plate. 
Yeah, I think the key word you use there is variance. And I'm going to still, and Pete mentioned the term a couple of pods ago, simplicity, right? And so everything that you just laid out for Aiton makes his job feel and probably be hard. It's complicated. There's too much variety on his plate, right? It's just like when you go to one of those crazy buffet places where it's not just like American food, like one of those Vegas buffets, right? But it's just like, okay, well, there's all this American food, but wait, over there, there's Chinese spare ribs and chow mein. And over in that corner, there's sushi. And now I can get pasta and garlic bread. And it's just like, okay, wait, wait. I, I, like, I you got me missing no. Summer League, man. You no, got me missing desserts, Summer League. I can't no. wait to go back. <laughs> and the desserts are there. So if you're a sweet tooth like me, <laughs> you're like, you're, oh, you're already starting because how are you going to go past the warm chocolate chip cookie? Like, it's, it's tough. So, like, I, you know, you really can't make eight plates, right? And so you have to be strategic. You have to scale it down in your mind and say, I need to keep it simple this time. Today is a prime rib day, and that's going to be my focus. I'm going to go get some prime rib. You're in some real trouble if you want to get mashed potatoes, but you like the gravy. And then what if the gravy leaks on the wrong thing? If you have a versatile plate, you know, then then it's trouble. You need I need like one of those trays, right, where I can put like four plates on a simple thing. It's just like this is just my little mashed potatoes plate. If you're an OG veteran, too, you might say, let me go get one of those dessert plates or like one of those dessert bowls where you get the ice cream and say, like, OK, well, I'm just putting a side thing inside here, like a little thing of mac and cheese or a little thing of mashed potatoes and gravy. Anyways. Metaphor the point is, you have more. situation. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> so back back to Aiton for a second. The I think his focus, Mike, considering all of those complexities, I think his focus needs to be: how can I bring the most effort and physicality to my minutes as as I can? Because if he tries to ramp up the processor too much and be supercomputer too much, you can get, that can slow down the speed in which you play. And what Phoenix is going to need from him is high energy, assertiveness, and, and, and defensive force, right? That's what they need. And his role needs to be pared down, I think, in order to get the best version of him and Monty Williams is a really good coach and Chris Paul is a very good but demanding leader as well right and so I think Pete by folk by sort of bringing the conversation to Aiton early in this this discussion I think that's one of the key pieces of this because the Suns are clearly going to go where Booker and Paul take them but but on a certain level, Booker and Paul are like the floor for this team. Like they're super good. Aiton can be the guy who raises their ceiling the most. And I'll be very interested to see how he responds in his first playoff series and in a playoff series against so much experience, especially at the big positions and at the forward positions. Yeah, I think that's the area where he's at the biggest disadvantages in experience and knowing how these types of series go. I think he's in many ways their most important, like their X factor, like like you were saying, because in a series where... 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They're at such a size disadvantage. He's a big guy. He is big enough to compete with our bigs. And so I think that we lamented in the last pod a bit about how we've talked about Drummond way too much. But I do think that him winning that battle and those physical battles around the rim against Drummond is one of Phoenix's best chances to be competitive in the series. It's very important that that DeAndre Ayton wins those battles. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's flip it to the other side of the court uh, because Phoenix has a lot of issues along these lines on how do they guard the Lakers. Let's throw it to break. When we come back, we'll talk about that. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So the last time we played the Suns, we did not have LeBron, but we won in a game where AD was an absolute monster on both ends of the floor. I do think that AD is going to be a very important weak side defender. If I could just say one more thing about the defensive end of the floor, his ability to close out to those shooters is how we get those guys, instead of getting an open shot, to have to make those decisions while attacking closeouts that we want to be doing that rather than just shooting open catch and shoot threes. But on the other end, Anthony Davis was such a problem for them, Mike, that they went to a lot of 2-3 zone. 
they were fronting three-quarter denial in the post against him in ways where our high-low actions worked well. We got a lob uh, from Drummond to to AD on a high-low. Trez had a couple of wide-open floaters because they had to just sag off of him at the nail to devote more attention to AD. So is there anything they can do? Is is Aiton someone that can provide enough size? Is there anything they can do about their fundamental Anthony Davis problem? Man, it sounds so dismissive to say no, but I just, I don't, I do think that there's a certain type of personnel you have to have to deal with an AD unless the rest of the team is not capable of filling in around that. And therefore all of the traps in the zone and all that kind of stuff work, uh, which, which won't, you know, against the Lakers team, especially that has LeBron James on the floor. So I don't, I don't know if there's, if there's a definite way for them to deal with that. I do think that Phoenix is a little bit better on defense than some might think or realize like like they rank sixth in defensive rating this year. That's not a stat that I think is the tell all, all, all the time, but I think it's a little bit more accurate than offensive rating in a way, Um, you know, because defense is something that you can be really consistent with for whole games. And sometimes I think offense, uh, you know, there, there are teams that are just, always going to always going to try to play a certain way on offense whereas the defense like the Lakers play can be a staple and a lot of that is energy and effort and connectivity and to me Chris Paul is the guy that keys it for them like he makes sure that you're making your rotations he does it in the game he does it in practice he raised OKC's floor a ton on that end and sure he also organizes your offense but I just think that that's look at every Chris Paul team he's ever been on There's always a sort of a baseline there um, on the defensive end that is respectful. But I also think that limits the upside to where they can go a little bit like how the Knicks have played this year with Tibbs. And they've just been so engaged on that end that you respect it. You respect the consistency, but they don't have that hammer that they can give you. um, That extra gear, yeah. Yeah, on a certain night. And so that's to me, and that's Pete, you need, like Draymond Green is a hammer on the defensive end. He, he just is, we just saw it with AD is much, even though AD got going late, like he, he, he is somebody that can take stuff away. And Chris Paul can do that at times, you know, at this age, it's hard for him to do it consistently, but he can only do it to small guards. You know, he, like he's, he's not going to be able to use a hammer on the Bron, neither as Booker or on AD. Whereas this kind of gets back to my original argument, right? In a way, right. LeBron right. Or AD they can bring the hammer over. It could be a double team on Chris Paul or on Booker, or it could just be switching over to him for a possession, like we saw AD do to Steph in that ridiculous, uh, the way that he used his feet to not even allow Steph to get a clean look in the last couple of minutes. So that, to me, is, uh, I don't know if that directly answers it as much, Pete, but that's that's kind of the, the way that I look at it. A part of this whole pod is probably going to be all of us on at certain times sort of pushing back against like conventional wisdom around some of the matchup advantages that I think the Lakers have. One of the things that interests me from the last game, we keep highlighting that the Lakers did all of that without LeBron, right? But they also did it without Schroeder. And I know I've sort of been hammering this point about Dennis and and I don't want to hammer it in a way where I sound like I'm super skeptical of Dennis as a player or even necessarily as a decision maker. But 
one of the reasons why AD went off like that, guys, in the last game against the Suns is because the pecking order was so clear and it was so established. It was, we've got AD. We have only Caruso and THT as guards, right? Kuz had to play like some backup guard that game. And there was just a lot of, AD, we need you to be great this game if we're going to win this game, right? And AD went out and he did that. He did it. And in a playoff series now with a fully healthy Lakers team, Pete, how concerned are you that we get some of the floating AD, the full squad version of of AD? Because as much as Mike can highlight, like, and I think you highlighted it well, too, that like the Suns have an AD problem, right? But what if AD decides he doesn't want to be a problem for them? Possession to possession to to possession because that's how Phoenix starts to win more of those minutes, right? It's not because AD isn't as good as he can be. It's because the flow of the game and his sort of want to be in the middle of all of that and other players on the team positioning him that way to be in the middle of that, that that sort of gets put on a side burner, right? Rather than the front burner. And so how much of that is a concern for you or is it a concern at all until I just said it right now? No, it it totally is a concern, but it's not a concern to the point of them losing the series. Confidence is is something that is a very important attribute to me, just in people. I think that the vast majority of people, the main ingredient that they're missing to achieve what they want to achieve is the belief that they can do it. And this Lakers team, and Anthony Davis exemplifies this more than anyone, is one of the few people where I like the not feeling as confident version of him better than the one that's like, ah, oh, that's fine. We we got this, right? The one that isn't concerned, the one that is floating around out on the perimeter because he knows that when he needs to, he's going to be able to turn it on. And this is such a basis of Mike's point throughout the years that you notice we rarely actually lose these types of games where we get ahead. The, the Warriors got us on MLK Day, but by and large in games where, hey, we know we got this team we have it. Even if we've got a big lead, we'll blow it. We blew a big lead against Phoenix. They almost came back on us. And that is the worst version of us, and it's the worst version of AD. So it concerns me in the way, in to a degree, where I think we're going to give up some 10-0 runs because of it. We might even lose a game because of it, because we let it slip too much, and then Phoenix has got all the momentum. You know how a team is when they're on a run and they're feeling good about themselves. And we blow a 12-point fourth quarter lead and we're all pissed off the next day. But what I don't see is that once that urgency and confidence – or what, it, what I don't see is what, once that urgency kicks in, their ability to do a whole heck of a lot about it. Did you just basically summarize Lakers in five, Pete? Not yeah. not saying yeah. not not for like this specific series we haven't gotten to picks or anything, but that's sort of what it's about, right? Like they're if the Lakers are locked in for every game, they're gonna win against most this teams. This is every perfect. Game. But yes, but they're not. <laughs> but they're not. But but guess what? Neither is almost any team in NBA history. That's right. You know, so I but I do, Darius, I do think that if AD starts that way, and it's possible, the good news is we could break out the Darius displeasure scale yes. after the first game, you know? Yes. That's right. And so 
that that is something that I that I always look forward to, and I look forward to adding new pieces to it. Right now, there are three uh, there are three levels. I look forward to adding a fourth, a fifth as you go on, and you think of new metaphors, which you always do. But I mean, I just the AD thing for me, he is. It's a tricky. the, The point that Darius made is good because he is going to be able to get some stuff easier in this series, and that. So he's not going to come out with that exact mindset that he did against Phoenix when LeBron wasn't there. That isn't necessarily a bad thing because they have, but like it's also it's always a great thing for the Lakers when AD comes out like that. Always, yes. There is never also, a t- right. We also have LeBron, right? LeBron only played in one game, I believe, against Phoenix this season, and we beat them without him. Now, when we add someone like that, obviously the that's good in the overview, but it changes the dynamic. And so talk to me about adding LeBron to this. I think our spacing with with Drummond in particular on offense is somewhere where we can, where things might get clunky, even with the addition of LeBron. Any smart team is going to pack the paint against the Lakers. Any lineup combination that makes that easier for them, the Lakers are going to have to overcome that a little bit more. Some of that can be overcome purely by shot making. Right. And so you don't need tactical advantages. You don't need counters. What you need is for the ball to go in. Right. And so if AD or LeBron is posted mid block left side of the floor and Drummond is in the dunker spot and Aiden is tagging basically. Right. So he is one foot in the paint and about to rotate over weak side guards are at the weak side guard is at the nail. Right. And then the other weak side wing is hugging on Drummond's hip. Right. The Lakers are going to see that a lot. They're going to see that a lot against the Suns. And Braun is going to have to make that mid range jumper over Mikhail Bridges. AD is going to have to make that mid range jumper over Crowder, over Sarich, over. Cam Johnson over Bridges too sometimes. Like those are shots that he's going to have to make. Those shots have to fall. One of the reasons why the Lakers have won the championship last year is because AD got into such a rhythm as a shooter that you didn't necessarily need all the bells and whistles schematically in Mm. order to beat some of these teams. It's because a great point. Just give the ball to AD. AD was much more of a forceful scorer in the, in the mid post and the high post uh, where, yeah, the schematics didn't work. It was AD made a move, go over the top of you, you get a bucket. And then the shots went in, right? Mm -hmm. He was a devastating isolation player. And then when they started to send doubles, he was making the right passes and it was simple 90s era basketball we talked about it on the pod for like two months straight all during their run where it was just like oh okay ad is like kevin durant with Giannis shoulders like right it it almost didn't make sense but then it did because he's Anthony Davis and we've sort of known how good he is this entire time. But the shooting efficiency was at a new level. So when I think about what the Suns can do defensively, some of it is, all right, well, how good are the Lakers going to shoot the ball? Because they're going to make the Lakers make jump shots. 
this series. There, like, there will be defensive lineups that I think the Lakers are going to say, oh, yeah, I don't care if you're packing the paint. I'm still going in there. So where does LeBron play into this dynamic? How does he manipulate Phoenix's defense to get the most out of it? I think he's going to post up a fair amount against Bridges. I also think that he's going to put him in pick and rolls, particularly with guards, and try to get switches, right? Like, this is a series where, all right, who's guarding Alex Caruso? Who's guarding Dennis Schroeder? Who's guarding KCP, right? And they're going to... They're going to run a lot of stuff where, or even, oh, campaign is on Dennis Schroeder, right? I'm going to go set a screen for Dennis, and then I'm going to roll. And if the roll's not there, I'm going to turn, and then I'm going to post, right? And there's a lot of stuff the Lakers can do from a size perspective with LeBron specifically that is going to matter. I'm interested in his matchup with with Bridges, but but Mike, is is there a certain thing that you're looking for with LeBron and related to the Suns' defense? So so this is sort of ancillary to LeBron, but I, I'm the thing that I'm thinking about is how Vogel chooses to use minutes for LeBron. And, and let's say he's going to be around 35. Like, I don't think you want him over 35. That's what he played even in that game. Sure, you could ramp him up in a game six if it gets to that point or or even a game five. But like, I, I like him being a little like getting a little bit less time on the floor, even if AD is playing 40 minutes, which I don't know if he needs to uh, in this series. But I'm thinking a little bit more about Caruso in this context, in some of the stuff you were just talking about, now that he is in this mode of being aggressive, and as Stu loves to talk about, when he drives, think about the play that he fed AD for the dunk to tie the game uh, in the final minutes against Golden State. He caught the ball and immediately shot to the hoop. And guess what that did? Draymond had no choice. He had to come over. He drops it off to um, to Anthony Davis. And he if he had just kind of you know, what he would do earlier in his career and just kind of sauntered in a little bit, that would have been a busted play and they wouldn't have had anything to do about it. So now that you have him engaged like that, I think that makes a big difference um, in what they can do around LeBron. And because he combines so well with him already, if if he's kind of unlocking that aspect, then it to me is just more of a, of a interesting thing about, all right, well, how much is Vogel going to play Wesley Matthews, who now clearly has, continues to earn his trust and it almost is superfluous, like they've got so many good options there, but I, I just am, am curious how that all plays out and how LeBron can then use that to his advantage by having another guy um, that is both a, a smart passer and cutter, but is now also looking to score, which wasn't always there. I think part of that smart passing and cutting, Wes and uh, Caruso are two guys that really stand out in this respect, is AD's presence down low forces Phoenix into a zone or into zone principles with those three-quarter denials, and you can't play zone against LeBron and AD. You can get away with some of it, and you can get AD out of the post to some extent when LeBron is not on the floor, but I think LeBron fundamentally compounds some issues that Phoenix already has even if he doesn't play. Let's pivot for a second off of LeBron and AD. Obviously, they are the mainstays of of all of this, and I'm going to go back to our tried and true Lakers question of the season, I feel like, um, which is the big man rotation, right? And so I guess I have a couple of questions for both of you. A, 
we talked about it in the sort of quick hitters pod, the last pod about Trez potentially being a good matchup for this series, right? Um, but then we also just talked about like the benefits of sp- that spacing could provide for the Lakers offense, right? Because of Phoenix's propensity of, of, of what we envision happening of them trying to pack the paint a little bit, particularly when Aiton is in the game. And then you have AD as an option at center. Drummond, Trez, AD, Mark. Do all of them see minutes this series? How much does AD play center? Like, how do you guys envision, like, going into the series, what the plan is? We understand that the plan will change. But from your perspective, what would be the sort of ideal allotment of of what the big man rotation looked like? I'll take this first. So AD at the five is almost never a bad idea, but I think this is more of an AD at the four series than others. I think we're going to want to leverage that size advantage as much as possible. One thing we may want to do is pull DeAndre Ayton out of the paint. And if we want to go that route so that AD can really wreck shop down there, I think LeBron in the post is something that's going to be very effective as well. That's where Mark comes in more than than Trez does. I actually think that... This may be a series where Drummond's a two-shift guy at the beginning of the first and the third. And if we want to pull Aiton out of the paint, but don't want to give up the size advantage that we naturally have, that's where Mark comes in into the picture. So I, I'm i curious to see how the Drummond versus Aiton battle goes. And if so, then, th- then I think he becomes a three-shift guy. But I think this series in different ways is also it's a good opportunity for both of our backup bigs. And those are rare because they're so different in terms of their skill sets. But I think the series fits both Mark and, and Trez. Yeah. This, the narrative around the Lakers center position has been so interesting this year because they happen to have Anthony Davis. They happen to have the best small ball center in the league. If they didn't, I think you'd be looking at this center rotation being like, damn, that's actually pretty loaded compared to what most teams have at the five position. And they don't, this Lakers center group doesn't really get a lot of love. Because, you know, they've they've got like the sexiest backup quarterback of all time um, over there. And I think that this is a a little bit of a hot hand thing, Darius, I would say. So the original plan, I think the on paper plan that Vogel has, which we've seen, like he's told us. So we know it's Drummond's going to start. Harold is going to play against smaller backup units. And Marcus all is going to we're going to find some minutes for him, whether it's due to or if he's not getting minutes, then we're going to make some time for him. Or if certainly if Drummond's in foul trouble or if we need the spacing and then he can just replace Drummond straight up. Or if Phoenix ends up staying bigger for longer and Aiton, they try to play Aiton 35, 40 minutes. So then in that case, Drummond's not going to play 35 or 40 minutes. Some of those are going to go to Mark. Some are going to go to A.D. But. Like, I think Pete Smart is to suggest that bottom line is this is a series where, where all of these guys can make a positive impact. And I just I think to that extent, what Frank has shown is that if somebody's having a particularly good, a particularly good game uh, like Mark has done in the last month or so, then he'll just ride that more. If Drummond is having a lot of success early, guess what? You get rewarded with an extra shift. It's, it's almost it's a it's a meritocracy in that sense with Frank Vogel. Hey, you show me what you're going to do on the floor. Caruso, you're playing 30 minutes then, bro. So that that part of it, I like because it incentivizes these guys 
um, to play good team basketball. There's also more opportunity for that to develop over the course of a seven game series versus a playing game against Golden State where you need to make that decision by the third quarter. So I do think that we'll see all, all of our bigs. I'm very interested to see if Drummond can stay out of foul trouble this series. Who um, do you think really puts that pressure on? I think they're going to put him in about 50 pick and rolls a game. Booker and, and Paul, yeah. Booker and Paul are just going to, and if he's guarding Aiden, Aiden's the primary screen guy every single possession for them. And mm -hmm. they're not going to, this isn't one of those ones where they're going to run a bunch of variety. Like Steph started calling up KCP's man to set screens, right? Because they mm -hmm. didn't want to involve AD at the point of attack. Chris Paul and Booker, they're going to keep using Drummond in screen situations. And Paul's one of the craftiest foul drawers in the entire league. You know, I actually think they're going to involve AD as much as possible on the ball because we want Drummond in the on-ball situations, right? Where he's the guy that's blitzing the ball screen. Where he's not as effective is in rotation and as the help guy. If we've got Drummond pressuring the ball, AD is the guy that needs to rotate. That's the formula that we want defensively. If you flip that with AD on the ball, AD's still great at that. But if Drummond's the one that has to be rotating over to to the role man, closing out to a, a corner shooter. Those are the circumstances I think that they could really exploit him. So I just want to remind everybody that Chris Paul game, like when you, especially game after game, there's going to be some frustration watching. Oh man. He does because he is just unapologetically and savagely seeking out fouls in contact sure. and he's grabbing arms and he's making like he is doing he will do he's the guy that epitomizes he will literally do anything to win anything he is a habitual line stepper he is a <laughs> habitual <laughs> line stepper bro so i'm just saying by game by game four there are going to be a lot of feelings about uh what where you know about how that has, has evolved and i think that sure the foul trouble part of it could be that could come into play for Drummond. And that's, again, though, why this Lakers center group is you don't have to worry about it that much if it happens. Yeah. Whereas if, Imagine if Aiden gets in early foul trouble, then it, not that he not that he's amazing or great, but they have to play small and yeah. they've got no other options. Imagine if Rondo was still in this series like imagine if the lakers still had rondo and they were facing chris oh my paul goodness. Game, during, during like, the playoffs. it would take about like game maybe game two with the latest it would go oh down. man it would be halftime mike <laughs> it would be halftime i'm all right all right these uh, guys would be ready to strangle each other my goodness they'd so both, they'd both be in microwave fish territory at halftime mike it was interesting and you, you know, I wanted to get to this before we close, and, and I don't know how long that we'll be able to go. You you were sort of talking to us about this before the series started or before we started to record the pod. And you talking about Chris Paul right now has brought it back to memory. Chris Paul and LeBron James, you know, the banana boat crew, right? Two of Two of the, they were president and vice president of the Players Union and together right and and they have a long standing history they negotiated the terms that allow them to make so much money at the end of their career they like modified the over 36 rule to be like the over 38 rule i believe so these guys are they've been thickest thieves 
these two. And they've been in the league a long time together, but they have never faced each other in a playoff series, right? LeBron spent all those years in the East and Chris Paul was in the West. And then now that Paul has been in the West, they just haven't matched up against each other when, when CP was in Houston and then at, at OKC. But now here they are two of the most bullheaded competitive dudes that you're going to find and sort of like magic at Isaiah Pete to sort of go back to like an old school reference Mm -hmm. great great comparison the gregarious sort of guy and then but they turn it when they turn it on on the court they are bloodthirsty And, and, and and so talk to me a little bit about sort of that dynamic and how much you think that dynamic influences the tenor and tone of this series because i think it's gonna be a thing that comes up especially when you talked about paul's propensity for sort of poking the bear a little bit and getting under people's skin. I think it's super important that the, if you're playing the Lakers, you have to believe that you're able to beat them. That confidence comes into play. And Chris Paul will have that team believing as much as it can that they will be able to beat us. Now there may be some events that happen on the floor that change that, but there may not. We'll see how the, how the series goes, but Mike, that series Phoenix does not come into that series with a lack of confidence in their ability to compete. And I, I think that comes from Chris Paul. It's the the main reason why they were the two seed in the first place. Yes. Uh, I also think, though, that Chris Paul and the Suns were watching that game and probably weren't <laughs> probably weren't thrilled that the Lakers how they, with how they sort of woke up in that second half and lock that matchup in. I think they probably were feeling pretty excited if they were being totally honest that they were going to get a chance to go against Golden State. And we know that Chris Paul's, he's done the stuff matchup before. He at least knows to what, what to expect from that. And I think that they would have, they wouldn't have been, their lack of bigs wouldn't have been as much of an issue. It just would have been a much better matchup, bottom line, um, for the Suns. So I do think that there's a, there's a, it's not that they're going to not believe that they can win because everybody's always going to believe in themselves. But I do think that there are seeds of doubt there uh, that, that the Lakers have planted. Now, the, the Paul and LeBron thing specifically is somewhat interesting. LeBron never really had to go against Wade. In a, like when, like he, so the other guys that are his best friends are Wade and Carmelo. And Carmelo, it was early in their career like where they were playing against each other, but it was very much like a, uh, a friendly, like, you know, Hey, here's my squad. Meet me at Rucker park. Like let's roll. Like there was some community in it. It wasn't like a big playoff series where they had to go for each other's jugular. And Carmelo of course played for Portland last year. And I don't know. I mean, he, he's just in a different state. Like LeBron's still yeah. the best player in the league. And Carmelo was just kind of the guy that came off the bench and, you know, uh, tried to fill it up. Like there wasn't really a thing there. So this to me is the first time that he's kind of like Chris Paul is still on the top of his game. Like he's in the MVP. He's going to be, he's probably going to finish fourth or something or fifth in MVP voting this year, maybe sixth at worst. He's still, he's still an alpha in this league. That's a a good way to put it. Yeah. So I, now I don't, but what I don't see is either one of these guys, you know, taking their foot off the gas pedal because they're boys. That's not happening. That's not how these guys are wired. They're going to shake hands after the game, just like they're going to hug after the series, like LeBron and Steph did. 
there's going to be some trash talking. There's going to be some mutual respect, but they're like, they're going to go for each other. I don't, I don't, I'm not uh, trying to suggest that there's any kind of stuff where like we won't see peak LeBron because his buddies on the other team, like that's not happening. I think they're going to go for each other. And I just think that LeBron can do more to impact Chris Paul's life on the court than Chris Paul can do to impact LeBron's life on the court. And that's just a difference of nine inches, you know, that's like, and, and, uh, you know, 75 pounds, right. That's, that's not Chris Paul's fault, but that sometimes in this sport, it does come down to size and power because they both got the brain, but you know, LeBron's got the, got the, the other stuff. Yeah. I, I love stuff like this. Like I love, I love the playoffs. The playoffs are, I'm so glad that we're finally here guys. Like you, we've talked all season long about the ups and downs of what has been like truly a hard season. Right. And even sort of getting to this point now where we're recording a preview pod, like the day after the Lakers just want to play in game, the mindset of like, Oh, go, 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 go. Right. Yeah. Has, has been there for everyone around yeah. the NBA, whether you're on the court plane or you're dudes like us, right. Who are covering the team or podcasting or writing or sideline reporting or making videos and doing all of the stuff around the organization, right. There has been this sense of, Oh my goodness, this thing does not stop. But the thing that all that work was for is now here, right. Mm -hmm. the, and the playoffs are here and I love the playoffs. I love the X's and O's. I love the gamesmanship. I love the ability for the cream to rise. I love to see young players sort of step up and, and find their voice to a certain extent, right within the context of, of what the team needs from them. I love the tactics and, and and everything that goes into we have to beat this team four times before they beat us four times. And we're here, fellas. We're here. And I am super excited to see what this team does in the playoffs, this specific group, because they've got a real chance, not only in this series, but to go deeper than that too so so i'm excited pete just let me uh to let you close out here what Darius was just talking about laker fans definitely love the playoffs and does love the playoffs as darius so eloquently just described and that's the lakers because man have they seen some amazing playoff moments since you guys were born just think about think about all of the spectacular playoff runs from showtime through the 90s through the three-peat Lakers through the Kobe Powell, Lamar, Bynum uh, Lakers to last year. Like there's been something, there's been so many incredible moments and not a lot of other franchises have that same level of being able to all the, all of the perspective and the excitement, like they're just nervous, you know? And well, Pete, there is one other franchise that has 17 titles, but you would have had to have been born a long time ago to see. Uh, I always tell them, ask your grandpa about it. I always, whenever I get in, a, in an argument with a Celtics fan, you start talking shit about how many titles they got. Like, man, you weren't even alive. Like if you go, let me go talk to grandpa, your 85 year old grandpa. And then we could talk on the same level, but me and you dude, nah, 
Uh, I was just throwing you that oop backwards. That was like shooter to LeBron um, there in the indie game. There you go. Anytime. I'm ready to throw that down anytime. All right. Your final thoughts, Pete. I'm like Gary said, I'm really excited to be here. This has been what we've been waiting for all season. This is real basketball. This is planning for one team and the strategizing and the counters and the counters on top of counters, the level of mental tenacity that's that's required to play in these games. That's something that Chris Paul is going to bring out of his team and LeBron is going to bring out of, of ours. And just in general, when you've got champions, we've got a lot of internally motivated guys in that respect. We also have some guys that can drift and might not always have that engagement, but the fact that we are here, the fact that we have gotten to this point, I'm just so excited about. So you're saying the film room is ready. The film room is uh, the tape is ready to be cut. <laughs> uh, I, I want to get one, film room thing. Ah. one last thought in though too. I want to thank you guys. You've helped me do my job better uh, this year with all your knowledge, talking to you guys X times a week. And a lot of those nuggets, I think either consciously or subconsciously sprinkle into my coverage. Uh, during oh, that's games. Cool. And so I, I want to just want to thank you guys. It's been a, it's been as tough as the regular season has been with everything going on. Uh, you guys have made it a lot better for me. So I appreciate it. Well, and likewise, man, you being able to give us insight on the ground and, you know, dozen years of experience plus doing this of understanding what the game looks like on the so much of Twitter can irritate me because it's it's narratives that don't entirely understand what's going on. And it's so divorced from the main people involved, the LeBrons, the Frank Vogels, the Anthony Davises, the Chris Pauls. You talk to these guys, you understand their mentality. You've been at floor level seeing what they do. And so that's what I love about this dynamic, right? Is maybe we fill in more of the X's and O's type of stuff, but you have a, a perspective that that fills in the spaces where, where we're lacking. So Thank you for that, man. This has been a it's been great. I'm so excited to be at this place. Lakers versus Suns, 12:30 Pacific time on Sunday. We will be recording after that to give you guys the recap. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James. 
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.